Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, we are going to talk about the story within the story. Last week, we on the Thursday mini-episode, I talked a little bit about storytelling. That gave Tiffany an idea about, well, it was sort of a, a remembrance of a conversation that you and I had had about certain books that you read, particularly older books sometimes, books that were maybe written during the Victorian era or before, where it's never like modern day fiction, where you're just in a story, a story begins. And, you know, let me just give an example. I'll pull a book off my shelf and just see how a normal modern story begins. One second. I'll grab okay. It. Okay. Here's a book that just arrived in the mail yesterday. I have not even looked at this book yet. This is T.C. Boyle's brand new book called Blue Skies. Let's okay. hope this is a good example of what a modern day <laughs> book starts. Part one. They were like jewelry, living jewelry, and she could see herself wearing one wrapped around her shoulders to Bobo's or the <laughs> cornerstone and sitting on the sidewalk table while people strolled by and pretended not to notice. So okay. whatever it is that so they're talking about, we're immediately with a woman who's imagining herself doing something, wearing something somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. that's... So that's third person. And I feel like more and more, though, we're getting first person. And I don't know which I prefer as a reader, but that's not the topic of this conversation. Right, right. Um, it's So yeah, you mentioned this to me and you were like, why is it? I think I was reading Frankenstein for some reason. I mean, not for some reason. I was reading Frankenstein and you, as you do, for some reason brought up, you remarked to me, which I didn't even think I'd considered that at the beginning of Frankenstein, it's not Frankenstein. Like it's not talking about the character, the doctor, the mad, he's not mad, but you know what I'm saying? The doctor, Frankenstein. Yes. It's about a totally different person who has nothing to do with the story. Now, rem like, remind me who it is. Now, it's not even that it's about that person. It's that person account making an accounting to another person. So yeah. Frankenstein actually begins, and this is what we mean about the story within the story, how it's not just the story being told to you. There's someone, there's an outsider or multiple outsiders that are either getting you into the story or are telling you the story the entire time. It begins with a letter that's written to a Mrs. Seville in England, who, oh, of yes. course, we never meet. And it's written by, as far as I can recall, the captain of the ship that is on its own separate mission when at the very end of the story in intersects Frankenstein, the scientist, and like rescues him off of an iceberg. Something like that. But I mean, it's if just... I can't remember if he's on the iceberg or if like the monster is chasing him on the iceberg. I think, it, like, the yeah, I think it's both. Yes. Yeah, it's both. <laughs> it's just scary like vision. But I mean, it even starts more benign than that. I pulled the book out just to see. It just says, letter one to Mrs. Seville in England, St. Petersburg. You will rejoice to hear that no disaster has accompanied the commencement of an enterprise which you have regarded with such evil foreboding. I arrived here yesterday, and my first task was to assure my dear sister of my welfare and increasing confidence in the success of my undertaking. So he's writing a letter to his sister about this... M this journey he's about to take. And now, don't get me wrong. 
we do not follow this man on his entire journey. <laughs> we, no. we, through a few letters, get to the point where he sees this guy and he rescues him and he gets to know him a bit. And then we go back into the story. Uh, but anyway, he rescues our scientist. Then the scientist, once this man gets to know him and relays it all to his sister, then we get the chance to hear the story from the scientist and eventually the monster's own point of view. But, I mean, and this is such a trope that is like the way that books were written at one time it's almost as if the authors or whatever we were doing with storytelling back then the story had to justify itself how did this story end up in the world it couldn't just be in the world it had to have a reason that it was in the world I hate that (laughs) I kind of love that (laughs) I hate it I hate it because I start reading the story and I'm like oh who's this Mrs. what is it her name Mrs. Seville like, oh, I wonder who Mrs. Seville is. I wonder, like, what she has to do with this story. Like, I'm like, I'm curious. I want to know about her. I want to know about the guy, the captain. And I'm like, wait a second. These people have nothing to do with the story. Then why are you wasting my time? <laughs> well, the captain does have something them. to do with the story. Yes, he does. At the end, he does have a little bit. But I find it so pointless. I find Not that I don't like Frankenstein. I liked it okay. It wasn't one of my favorite books. But I liked it. And I'm not putting down the story as a whole I just don't like the trope I don't like it to me as a reader as a modern reader it makes me feel like just one more step removed from the story you know when you read something in first person you feel so there and I don't personally write in first person I I never have I've only ever written in third person uh, but it's very very close third person so it almost feels like first person but so you know you got your first person is like the closest you can possibly get and then you've got maybe your third person close and you've got maybe like your third person omniscient you know I mean it gets like step 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 further and further away like how could you get further away than a story in which the people in it are not even the ones telling the story. It's somebody else that they've told the story to who's then telling the story to somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Not even you. They're not even telling the story to you. They're telling it to somebody else Well, who's not even there. <laughs> I mean, once we get into Frankenstein, it is in first person. Yeah, and so it what does. I it The can. one thing I kind mm-hmm. of like, I, this is just for this book in general, what I kind of like about this book is it gives us this sort of frantic outward view of what these people look like from a distance. Because mm. we're not going to get that at any other time through the rest of the story. It's all going to be very internal. What the monster is feeling inside, what Frankenstein's feeling inside. And so the fact that we get to see them frantically on an iceberg from a distance is kind of fun. But even still, though, the larger point is the authors need to justify the reason for the story. Now, you're currently reading Wuthering Heights, which you say is a major offender. I haven't read Wuthering Heights since college Uh when it was assigned to me. And I tried to blaze through it, I'm sure. So I barely remember anything about the structure of that book. Well, I had never read Wuthering Heights. I was not assigned it in high school or college. So for me, it was this big question mark. And I, you know, I knew that there was this tortured love story between these, you know, these two tortured people. I knew that much about it. And, you know, that's about all I knew. I knew it was written by a Bronte sister. I've only ever read Charlotte Bronte. I've only read Jane Eyre thus far. And I really love Jane Eyre. Um, So, but for some reason, Wuthering Heights always kind of daunted me. And I think 
The reason why is because I had picked it up a few times and I hadn't been able to get through the first chapter. And even this year, like this, this book was on my list. I made, I, I talked about this, I think on our new year's resolution episode that I made a list of all the books that I own that I really want to get through this year before I buy any more books with a few small exceptions, but pretty much, you know, no book <laughs> buying for me until I do this. And I just remember opening this book and reading, since you read the first few words of Frankenstein, I'll read maybe a paragraph, not even a paragraph, but 1801, I have just returned from a visit to my landlord, the solitary neighbor that I shall be troubled with. This is certainly a beautiful country. In all England, I do not believe that I could have fixed on a situation so completely removed from the stir of society. A perfect <laughs> misanthropist's heaven and Mr. Heathcliff and I are such a suitable pair to divide the desolation between us. A capital fellow. Wow. So I love the divide the desolation between us. What a, what a wonderful way to put this. I love it. I love exactly. It. But also a capital fellow. Now, looking back, I mean, I'm now about three quarters or more through this book. I mean, Heathcliff is anything but a capital fellow. I know a lot of people like see him as this like tortured romantic male lead. I do not. I see him as a villain. To me, Heathcliff is a villain and I hate him. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it I is don't really opening part of the book she doesn't really know yet <laughs> right. but it's not a she this is oh yeah who's fact, talking I guess I should yeah ask well that. that's actually that's thank you point. for making thank you for making my point because when I first read these words I naturally assumed as someone who has a very vague idea about Wuthering Heights being a love story and be Heathcliff being one of the two main characters I assumed okay this must be the heroine this must be from the point of view of the heroine she must be his tenant. Okay. All right. I'll go with that. And then you get through it and you realize that it's a guy named Mr. Lockwood. And there's this whole first scene in which Mr. Lockwood decides to go and so basically he's renting like the second property of Heathcliff. And he decides to go visit him, visit his landlord, you know, at his other home, which is just, you know, maybe like four miles walk um, mm -hmm. away. And he gets kind of snowed in and he's at Wuthering Heights and, you know, there's all these odd characters and it's this very unpleasant family arrangement. He is, on the one hand, absolutely fascinated by these people and curious about them, but on the other side, totally offended because they're all extremely antisocial and they, they treat him horribly and they're so rude to him. And so basically what happens is he goes back to his home, the one he's renting, and he starts chatting with the housekeeper there who has been in this family, has been working for this family for the past 30 years. And she knows the whole story. And he convinces her and he gets kind of sick, right? So he's kind of like just like lying around recovering. <laughs> and he convinces this woman to tell him the story. Right. So the whole story, which takes place really, it's, it starts about about 20 years before like the present day action, the 1801, the whole thing is told to him by this housekeeper. Hmm. So she can only tell the things that she actually witnessed. Yeah. So if she wasn't there, she doesn't know what went on. And so it's, it's kind of also an unreliable narrator because uh, big chunks of the scenes are people talking to her. It's like three <laughs> steps removed. It's just like, why, why this choice? And I really find the story to be gripping and to be fascinating, although I hate every single character in it. Mm -hmm. There is not a single sympathetic character. 
maybe with the exception of Nellie Dean, the housekeeper who's telling the story. But I just feel like, why couldn't she have just told this from an invisible narrator? Did that exist back then? Because I know there are books from first person because Jane Eyre is told in the first person Mm -hmm. and she's telling her story, which I can get behind that. But is there a case where, okay, I want to tell a story about these two people who fell in love. I don't want it to be from either of their points of view. So invisible narrator, did they do that back then? Or did there <clears> always <throat> have to be this external person who's like, let me tell you a story, children? I have no idea. That's a fine question. If any of you are literary scholars, let us know. <laughs> I just feel like every Victorian or earlier book I've read recently, okay, Jane Eyre, def- I mean, I was going to say Jane Eyre. I meant Jane Austen definitely does not do this. Well, I was going to ask, though, is she telling her story just to us, the reader, or is she telling her story to somebody else? I'd have to like go back and actually look because maybe, you know, I didn't notice. But I mean, for example, Pride and Prejudice, it starts right in the action. Mm-hmm. And so it's a truth universally acknowledged that yes. I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but any gentleman of large fortune must be in want of a wife. And then all of a sudden you're in the Bennett's home and the girls are, you know, arguing and Mr. Bennett is teasing Mrs. Bennett and oh, I, oh, there's, a, you know, these rich gentlemen in town and yada, yada. And it starts right in and it's third person as far as I can remember. No, yeah, it's definitely third person. So I just answered my own question. It does exist. <laughs> but why, why the need to make this giant step back? I mean, I'm sure it was just the style. I mean, I don't know the answer, but the publishing industry runs on what sells at the time, and maybe that's what sold. I'm not sure. Who can say? On the larger point of the storytelling aspect of it, what I do like about it and why I consider those books kind of cozy books is because they do have this storytelling aspect to them that's not trying to convince you this is a real thing happening. or It's telling you the story of something that happened, which in a way sort of appeals to me from this kind of going back to what I talked about on Thursday, this storytelling aspect of things appeals to me. I used to have this friend who, this is a little bit of a leap, but I had this friend who really, really loved horror movies. Matthew Warner, he's the one that gave us some of our great audio dramas that we played on this show that are a little bit scary. So he used to like to watch horror movies, and I kind of didn't. I would watch them with him from time to time, but I... You know, there was a way to go too far for me, things that I didn't want to see. However, it wasn't that I didn't want to know what happened in the story, because especially if it was some sort of cultural phenomenon, for instance, when the Saw movies came out, things like that, where a lot of people are talking about it and you see ads for it all the time, but you really don't quite get what's going on. And he and I would take walks together and he'd be like, well, I don't want to ruin it for you. And I said, you're not going to ruin it for me because I'm never going to see it ever. So tell me about it. And so we would take these walks and he was able to recount like the entire plot, the step by step, what everything that happened, the visuals. And for me, it was almost like I had seen the movie, but then I didn't actually have to suffer seeing the movie. And maybe in some ways it was even scarier. It's in my own head now. And we're out in the middle Mm -hmm. of the dark (laughs) walking around, you know, I, I love that kind of thing when you can sit with somebody else and they tell you a tale, whether it's something from their own life and even better when it's not, when it's like a, a story that's like a fable. And I just don't feel like we do that as much anymore. And and I wonder, I mean, the reason I bring this up is I wonder if part of the reason that books and things were written like that back then is that they would have spent a lot more time sitting around 
telling stories to each other and playing games and stuff because they didn't have television, they didn't have radio, they didn't have like all the things that we have to distract ourselves with besides books, right? So I'm mm -hmm. sure people spent more time recounting a story to each other. I mean, Weathering I'm Heights, sure this did. man falls ill and now this housekeeper is like telling him the whole story of everything that's happened for the last 25 years. I mean, that could be drawn from their own real life experience about what one does when one is sick, you know? Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think of it that way. I can totally imagine that, you know, somebody who has the ability to tell a really good story would be someone that you would want at your party or at your summer, rainy summer in Italy, as the case was with Mary Shelley, yeah. telling ghost stories, telling stories to each other, how much more valuable that was then when you couldn't just turn on Netflix and have a story acted out in front of you. You would actually need someone to tell you that story, which I do love as well. I, I definitely love it when it's happening live, when it's like somebody is telling me a story or like the piece that you played. I loved that. But this, the written story within a story, I just want to get to the story. And a great example of this is I recently read to Aurelio a book called, I think it was just called Greek Myths. It's by Nathaniel Hawthorne and it's for kids. And basically what he does is he tells about eight of the really most famous Greek myths, you know, Midas and the Golden Touch and um, the story of Pandora and the story of the Minotaur. But basically before he does, it's like in Victorian times, there's this young lad and he happens to be staying at this country home with a whole mess of kids. Uh -huh. And there's like <laughs> 17 little kids between like four and 10. And he takes them out walking through the rolling hills of Western Massachusetts. And they sit down in like the field and he'll tell them a story. And every single story has an introduction of him like, okay, you know, it's a beautiful autumn day. Let's go out and pick chestnuts and let me tell you a story. And then there's a, like a wrap up. And I mean, not to diss Nathaniel Hawthorne. Again, it's like, I'm not here to criticize Mary Shelley and Emily Bronte and Nathaniel Hawthorne because they are giants, obviously. But I just felt like, this book, you know, is 250 pages and a hundred of those pages are absolutely thrown away on this lad who I couldn't give a rip about and these little <laughs> kids. And and it's just every single single time it was pointless. It's like, oh, it's snowing today. We're gonna have to stay in by the fire and read our, and, and let me tell you our stories <laughs> yeah. by the fire. And I'm like, who cares? Like, just get to the story. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I think that was his way of saying like, listen, I'm dumbing these stories down for kids. And in order to do that, I'm going to have a character who's telling these stories to kids. But I just don't think it's necessary. It's certainly not necessary for a modern audience. But I do want to say, as kind of a fun thing, Tiffany, let's pretend that the story of your life today had to be told <laughs> by some sort of random person on the outside. Oh. Let's hypothesize about who that person would be, who would be connected enough, but would also be random enough 
that it would feel like it was the housekeeper telling your story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have my obvious guesses, which would be your mother-in-law, you know, your, oh, that would be or good. your father-in-law. My father-in-law is definitely the long-winded one. Yeah, so, that, so I can I can definitely see it being him. That would sure. be the seven hundred page version. <laughs> yeah, but it would be so embellished because he always adds things to stories that are not true, and it's not like that he's trying to lie, but he just he likes to embellish a story. But I feel that that fact, and I mean obviously that's just one person, but like that is what makes these stories unreliable because you're like did it really happen like Nellie Dean says it happened or is her memory wrong like does she really remember what happened did she overhear correctly did something really important happen when she wasn't in the room that would explain why these people are like this mm -hmm. well let's let's go even further distant let's say let's say that the story of your life right now had to be written by Aurelio's swimming teacher <laughs> I don't even know his name. What? I don't think I've ever talked to him. Let's imagine what that view would be like. Can you put us in, like, what is he thinking about this woman and her son? He's not thinking about us. <laughs> I mean, I don't, that to me is too, that's too random. It could be, I could see more like a grown up Aurelio's therapist. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Girlfriend, Aurelio yeah. has gone in and talked about his mother you know, for, you know, a year, everything about his childhood. And now the therapist is telling her friend because they're sitting around bored. And she's like, well, let me tell you what this kid, about this kid's mother. Or this what a young character. man's yeah. mother. It began with a podcast. No, <laughs> just That's great. I love that. I love who would that. it be for you? Um, Let's see. Who could be a good random outside observer who would know okay you're right because a swimming teacher would be too random because they wouldn't see you often enough but I, but i i boy that's a hard question because i don't have a grown-up aurelio to go talk about me later on that's a good one actually i like that accelerated timeline as well that we're now in the future you know, you may or may not be around him all the time anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like Wuthering Heights. It's happened like, you know, 20 years later that it's being talked about. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know that I... Let's see. I was just thinking it would be funny to have it be the kids next door, but to my house. But really, our only interaction is they accidentally kicked the ball over the fence I mean, I've seen them in other places, but this is our most common interaction. They accidentally kick the ball over the fence, or their visiting friends and cousins accidentally kick the ball over the fence. They come to my front door. I say, yeah, just go through the gate around the side. And by the way, you are always welcome to just go through the gate on the side and go get the ball. You don't have to ring the doorbell. And then the next time they do it, they ring the doorbell and I say, remember, you can always just go through the fence. You don't have well, to come you know, and let me know. Not, not to be, not to get too morose, but with things that have happened in the news, I I'm know, I know, but they, those kids are careful. <laughs> yeah, but they know me. <laughs> I know they know you. Uh, but yes. Maybe, maybe it could be, here's something fun. It could be like your cat talking <laughs> to another cat who's like considering 
moving in with you guys because I know your cats kind of just like they decided that they were going to move in with you. It yes. was not really your decision. It was their decision. So maybe there's like a third cat and the cat's like, I'm looking for a new home. What do you guys <laughs> think? And they're like, well, they feed us. But let, let me tell you a story. Let me, let tell, me you, tell you what. <laughs> let me tell you about the little one. Yeah, because there's a big one and a little one. <laughs> I actually started writing a story that's similar to that once and, and I should finish it because it was downright hilarious and it was called <laughs> Mr. Ding Dong Investigates was the title. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And he was a um because one of my cats is named Mr. Ding Dong or Ding for short. M but Mr. <laughs> Ding Dong in the story he he was trying to figure out where the little one had gone. So there was a big one and a little one but then the little one was missing. And oh. so he was trying to figure out what happened to the little one which, of course, is me, the shorter person in the house. And he's just going around. But the thing that was kind of funny about it, besides the fact that he's, it's written kind of in a noir style about him being a tuxedo cat out of San Francisco, <laughs> and, anyway, um, <laughs> is that uh, they are trying to solve these clues that they're finding, but it like makes no sense what decisions they make. Their conclusions are like cat logic. But anyway, it was a fun side project, one I never finished. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds good. So um, I guess that's in a way, although it, it was fiction. It wasn't actually based on any real fact, with the exception of Ding Dong being a real animal. Well, I mean, all of these stories are fiction, though, Katie. Like, <laughs> that's Wuthering true. Heights is fiction. Frankenstein, I hope, is fiction. Yes. Um, yes, it is. But that's the thing that kind of, you say, well, they present the story as, okay, this is, I have to have a reason to tell this story. Well... Who's telling the story of, you know, Mr. Lockwood and Nellie Dean? Somebody's telling that story, too. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, not not that they need a reason to tell the story, but there needs to be a, a way for the book itself to justify its existence. Right. Okay, but how do you justify the outer story? You justify the inner story by the outer story. How yeah. do you justify the outer story? <laughs> well, well, well. We you know what I'm get, saying? Get into the into the wheat. Well, at, at least in Frankenstein, the outer story is justified it's a letter. by the fact that it's a letter. Yeah, because letters exist. They're, they are the ephemera of the world at that time. That's know? true. Letters every which That's way. That's true. So. Well, let me... Um, I, I did think of one... First of all, I looked this up. I looked this narrative style up to see what it's called. And I mean, more generally, more broadly, it's called a story within a story, but there's many different types of that. What I'm really talking about, what we're really talking about with Wuthering Heights and Frankenstein is called a frame story. Mm. And there's a much more modern one that I, I wouldn't have thought of, but I saw it on this list. So when I said I thought of one, that was a lie. The Princess Bride is a, has a oh, frame story. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Because it, it the, has... father, the grandfather is reading a fairy tale to his grandson who is sick. That's true. I, but I, and I believe the it's been a long time since I read The Princess Bride, but I believe the book itself actually has a frame within a frame because I believe it's a it's the writer of the book who's rewriting the famous William Goldman story, presenting the idea of this story being told. So no, I can't remember the entire that, that book of the Princess remember. Bride. It's very funny, by the way. If you've never, I read know, it, I love it. I love it. So funny. Um, I remember reading it, and I remember loving it. I think I've read it twice, but it's been twenty years or something. It's basically like this is a guy that's rewriting this classic book because it's unreadable. So half it has all these commentaries about. Now he goes on for like twenty six pages about right. what the prince was wearing. 
Yes, uh, I remember this now. So it has this external narrator uh, also on the outside that's like, okay, I'm going to just go ahead and cut these pages because, you know, nothing happens. In addition to happens. the grandpa. Well, I don't know. That's what grandpa, I mean. I can't remember. Just come in in the, maybe the grandpa just comes in in the, in the movie. Yeah, that's what I can't remember. I don't remember if there's a grandpa. Probably not. Probably not. But that's interesting. That's yeah, fun. That's fun. That is fun. Well, <laughs> feel free to tell us what titles uh, you've been reading that are the frame within the frame, within the frame, perhaps, or just a frame <laughs> by for frame. Let's not go so, so not many go frames. How many frames? I wonder if there's a book with like six frames out. <laughs> <laughs> like Inception, the dream within a dream within a dream. How deep can you go? How many dreams can you have within a dream? I mean, there's always the epistolary novel where you know there could be like six or seven different people writing. But yes, but at least it's not one within the other. Right. It's not all six or seven different people writing while a clerk sits by and goes, hmm, another letter from Mrs. Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Jackson was a tall woman. Yeah. Uh, You know, (laughs) (laughs) or someone's writing a letter and within their letter, they say, I just got a letter from my mother-in-law and she wrote and she wrote and then she (laughs) writes out what her mother-in-law wrote and then in her mother-in-law's letter she says i just had a letter from my best friend and she wrote (laughs) that would be don't attempt that let's let's just let's just leave that there but if you do attempt it send part of it to us (laughs) and we'll read it on the show (laughs) you can always reach us by emailing bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com or on social media facebook twitter Instagram, just look for the Bittersweet Life podcast and you'll find us. Uh, Mm -hmm. I also want to mention this show is supported by our listeners. And I just want to thank our most recent contributors at Patreon, Jordan, Mary, Claire, and Jill. Thank you so much. And you've heard a lot about a Rome trip that's happening in October. And today I'm not going to go on and on about it. But there are a few spots left and we're happy to send you more information. You'll hear more about it, I'm sure. But you can always email us, bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. If you look at your big empty fall and you think, you know what? I really want to go to Rome this year. We're the people to take you there. I promise that. And even if you look at your very busy fall and you think, you know what would slide right in next to Greece? Rome with Katie and Tiffany. We are going to make it worth your while. It's going to be the most magical week you can imagine. So... Bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com if you want more information about coming to Rome with us. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life, often a story within a story within a story within a story upon a world that's full of stories. It is true. And until next time. (laughs) I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. (laughs) 